0: The nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I will be your host for today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I am the co founder and find of uh, financing solutions. And for the last 13 years, Financing Solutions has been the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit for small nonprofits. Lines of credit are very valuable to have. I can't tell you how many nonprofits that we have as clients just love it. And uh, I, I've never gotten a complaint. Uh, believe me, they're just happy that someone offers it to them. Um, and it, it's just really very, very valuable. If you think you're the only organization that suffers from ups and down in cash flow, you're you're very mistaken. Uh, it's very common, especially in the nonprofit sector. So welcome. So, um, we do have a uh, sponsor for today as we, as we've had for, uh, for a while now, a raise fast fund online is cloud-based accounting software, um, that is specifically made for small to medium sized uh, um, um, nonprofits. It's great. Uh, I have one of the, uh, one of the organizations that I'm on the board of, we switched to them. Uh, if you're using QuickBooks, big mistake. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about Arrays, please visit their website at A-R-A-I-Z-E.com. That's arrays.com. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with uh, Antoine uh, Skornikov from Agile Coach. Uh, Anton is an Agile coach, a certified Scrum trainer, and a co-founder and managing partner of of Agile Coach in uh, Berlin, Germany. Um, In this capacity, he has coached nearly 100 organizations to become adaptable and nimble in the face of uncertainty and unpredictably, unpredictably. uh, his upcoming book, the, S- the art of slicing work encapsulates the accumulation of numerous stories, lessons, and principles gathered through his coaching journey. And, uh, Anton, uh, and I had a brief discussion before, um, he, we, we went live today in the podcast and he does have, uh, he works with nonprofit clients all the time. Um, they're part of his clients and some of them, uh, have, um, um uh, divisions in the United States. So, you know, it's, I find it's always interesting to have a conversation with somebody who, uh, is involved with nonprofits outside of the United States, you know, because in the United States, we all think that, you know, our blank doesn't stink, right? That we're, we're the only ones doing things and there are incredible amounts of ideas that come from other countries. So Anton, welcome to today's nonprofit NBA podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Stephen.
0: So, um, you know, today's, today's topic that we're going to be covering is how to manage your nonprofit in an unpredictable environment. Certainly, the first thing that came to my mind about this topic is, I mean, when is it not unpredictable? It's, <laughs> you know, it's this is nothing new. You know, I mean, yeah, we got we got we all got thrown for a loop with COVID, um, but. You know, anyone who's been through recessions, anyone who's been through war, anybody who's gone through international uh, problems, domestic problems, um, the the norm is an unpredictable environment, isn't it? It is to
1: it definitely. It is for for many nonprofits, but when it comes to, you could say managing managing work, not everything that is tremendously unpredictable is. So, uh, you know, full of surprises, you, you know, that uh, when you are serving, say, 100 refugees who just escaped uh, a war region, there is going to be some differences between what they need, but they all are going to need some accommodation and they all going to be needing in need of a bed. And if they have kids, they will need a place in school to stay. And there is a lot of standardized processes that you can set up when it comes to how you organize what is going to happen with everyone? So there is a lot of, you know, repeatable steps. And when you organize repeatable things, things that you repeat one hundred times, thousands of times, there's a different approach that you want to take than when you do things that are unique. Then you do things that are once, and where you really aren't sure whether what you're doing is going to help. For example, often you talk about fundraising, right? So so fundraising is a typical process where you don't know what's going to happen because you're going to talk to a lot of people and only with few of them some things going to work out to i don't know second step so some of them are going to show interest and then some of them uh, in the end maybe even one or only one of them in the end is going to give you some money
0: yeah i i it, that is predictable still you know you when you start doing it enough you you know what let's just use the word close ratio would be mm. you know people might not use that word as often in the nonprofit sector, but if you do enough, you know, of all, if I speak to the 10 people, you know, two of them are going to close. So, I mean, you know, I'm a salesman by nature uh, as that's where my career started. So I know, and I agree with you, like, like, I think the word that you used here is so critical. And that is if you want to build a good organization, you got to have systems in place, right? And systems allow you to control the things that are controllable, you know, and when we talk about an unpredictable environment, you know, I think what we're talking about here is trying to, to manage and control the things that you have control over Mm -hmm. and knowing, but then you got to know that there are going to be a small percentage of things that are going to be thrown at you. That's going to keep you off that's going to keep you off guard and you got to be able to accept that idea. Is that fair to say? Yeah,
1: definitely. So what you're talking about in my words is, or you said it yourself, like it's it's the system that I set in place, right? And this is one of the very big leverages that I have. And and very often, at least in my experience, when I, when I work with people coming from nonprofits, they are very focused on their purpose. They're very focused on getting good people, but they rarely because because of so many things that are happening around them they rarely have a you know system in place that everyone understands how it works it's very very often it's just you know every day they will figure out what's going on and and give people different tasks to do and so the question and, and that's maybe something that would be a great result of this podcast if 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 the listener could reflect on how they are uh, organizing their work in their own organization, and maybe uh, maybe get a, rec- recognize some patterns, recognize where they want these patterns actually to be there or not, and and maybe get some new ideas. So, and when you are managing something that is repeatable, say you you have okay, let's let's stick to the example of sales, right? So you 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 have you know you want to have I don't know ten outbound calls a day or maybe twenty. And you want to have uh, for, for completely new uh, new people that you want to reach out to, and then you you want to have follow up with at least two or three leads that have been qualified over some time. You want to create checklists, right? So you want to create. So th- this is the way I want to contact the the p- person for the first time. When I say someone is a qualified lead, then I would have this and this and this um, set up for them, or I, I need them to, I don't know, check off this list, and if I, if before we actually enter into a phase where someone would give me money, I would have at least kind of a contract in place and some other steps, and all of this, the this checklists that I've just talked about, these are the system. This is this is what we are talking about, so they, not the calling, the activity of calling, this is kind of working within the system, but when you are an executive director, you are the person empowered to set those systems in place to say, what kind of checks do we want a sales uh, process to go through? And if you have something like the sales process where you you repeat it 100 times, it's a very different thing from when you do something for the very first time and when you don't have hundreds of times that you will be able to repeat it. Yeah,
0: I I mean, I think... um... One of the things I, I lo- I've learned over uh, my 30 years uh, is uh, there's two things. One of them is most of the listeners today are smaller organizations, smaller nonprofits, right? And what I mean by that, they're under 1.5 million in, in, in revenue a year, right? So, I mean, you know, when you get over 5 million, you, you, well, that, that, that just brings me to the point. When you get into a bigger size organization, they have their processes and procedures done. It's, and and the executive director is no longer doing all of the, everything in the organization. So I, you know, so if you wanna get to that larger number, that's my point, there's two points. One, if you wanna get to be that larger organization, that bigger nonprofit, mm-hmm. You got to build the processes and procedures now, Mm -hmm. all right? Because that's how you get bigger. Absolutely. And when you get bigger, you need that. Now, the second thing I learned, just brief, is that change your verbiage into processes and procedures because nobody likes those words, okay? So I use best practices, Okay, And it makes sense because as the executive director, when you first start your, your organization, you are doing a lot of the stuff. And so you know how it should be done. When you start getting bigger and you hire more people, you're going to delegate that to them. Mm-hmm. And in essence, that person is going to really want to follow the way that you learned the best way of doing something. So when you make the transition to delegating and to hire, hiring people to work for for you, they need to have the roadmap of what are the, what is the best practices that you've learned since you've been there. And they're going to want that and they're going to like it and you're going to be able to, um, to better manage their success if you give them that. If you just say, oh, I'm going to hire a fundraiser and I don't know anything about it and here, just go. Let me tell you, you're going to get some pretty bad results because I'll, I'll tell you what, you're never going to hire a fundraiser that has tons of experience. They're usually people who think they could be good at the job. Maybe they have a year of experience if you're lucky, but in most cases they're, they're learning on the job too. So, I mean, it's kind of a different note, but would, you know, Anton, do you agree with what I'm saying?
1: I I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And I would love to, to dig a little deeper into this moment of when your organization is so big that you start hiring people and delegating work to them, because this is the moment when you are first, and very often people are just naively, you know, starting to delegate work. And there is a very important distinction. And this is basically what the whole book is about, is whether you are delegating a task or whether you are delegating something that I call a slice of work or something in in other words is is a checkable has a checkable result so a lot of a lot of nonprofits that I work with they have you know they they're campaigning at some point so they're doing some events that hopefully will raise some awareness about their cause or awareness about something and and this is always a big thing right so now imagine you hire someone and you tell them Oh well, why don't you just draft uh, draft some text for me? That is that that I will then j- just draft an email that I will send out to some other people. And this person drafts one email, and you give feedback to this email. You say, "Well, the way you've drafted it, uh, it doesn't speak to uh, this person or that person." They become a better drafter of emails, and the 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 longer you keep them doing that, the the better they become at this particular task that you're giving them. Now. Say you have another person, and they are very good at designing things, and so you give them the design task, and they only design the thing. And you are the only person kind of combining it all, so you get great piece of communication that you will then send out and use through different channels, and you then gather feedback. Now, guess what? If you, if you manage like that, what you will end up in is so-called micromanagement trap. Because the feedback, people learn from the feedback they get. Whatever gets feedback is the one thing that it gets improved. So if you give people feedback only on the text that they draft, if you give feedback only, if you give people feedback only on the pictures that they get, they only think about that. Uh, if you, however, invite people to actually own a whole piece of communication, to, to maybe join forces with three or four of them and actually be responsible for sending out a whole result. And, and receiving feedback, they will learn from the whole process. Now, that's a tricky part because in the typical scenario, you would be the person most experienced in that. So, you know, if you take your new hires and you ask them to do this thing, they will probably not do it as well as you would. They will probably make mistakes, right? And that's why you are, well, only giving them the things that you trust them to do best. Because... I know you hired them. You've had your interview with them. You know what they can do best and stuff. But this doesn't this doesn't scale. So when your organization grows, and I think this one and a half million that you talked about is approximately this level of how much one person can actually micromanage around them. So, so if you want to move past this 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 kind of uh, ceiling <laughs> this glass ceiling, you need to create processes in place and ask people to do whole pieces of work and actually get feedback and learn from that. Now, for that, this this is kind of this is a simple concept, but but to start dividing your the, all everything that you that happens in your organization into so into chunks of work that is checkable, that is a, a skill that is not so often talked about.
0: Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. I, I, I like that idea. Um, you know, I learned early on, on, on before I started to learn to become a better manager that, um, that I used to, this is a long time ago, would um, just give someone a job and then, or responsibility. And then, okay, that was their responsibility. And I learned over a period of time that you have to have a series of of check-ins Right to see how they're doing, um, be, because you know otherwise you waste you you wait a week or two and then you check in and then you find out it wasn't done the way you, you you wanted it done or that there's a problem, and it's not fair to the employee either. Honestly, you know, believe yeah, really and,
1: and most of the times you find out that you could have seen that it's not going the right way already after half an hour of their work, so you know that actually if if they've received the feedback way earlier. So much waste would have been uh, prevented.
0: Yeah, I, you know, listen, I, I find that I was, um, that I'm unique in that most people who are running a nonprofit or running a uh, business are um, control freaks, right? I, I tend to not be that way at all, right? I think that's an advantage for me uh, that I've had where I'm not a control freak. You know, I, I more worry about the bigger picture and the other stuff is just, you know there most of it's minor you know yeah. and and whereas i in an, and i see so like, like it's almost like we're um we're we're giving you an oxymoron or contradicting ourselves here and we're saying is you know you 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 have to micromanage things well, that's not what i i meant to say what i'm saying is you have to be building processes and procedures and being really execution ex- execution oriented mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm saying that that's to be a control freak is a mistake, and I think there's, you know, I think there is a big difference between those two things, don't you?
1: But, but maybe, maybe, maybe I can help there because the thing is, you're not a control freak per se. What, what I'm advocating for is that you move your the level that you want to control from controlling what people do to controlling what what the results of their work. The outcome.
0: That's it's a, it's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and some things, and let's let's face it, Anton. Some of the things there isn't. It's not measurable, right? Some of the things aren't measurable. But that I think that doesn't mean that you can't check up and see, um, at certain intervals how someone's doing. Fair.
1: It's fair, and there is much, much more is measurable. Than we know. Oh yeah, do. yeah, yeah.
0: I, 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 have, have I have for
1: example great. like 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 a very simple example. A very because I'm 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 in this situation very often. Like people will say, "Well, what we need to do is we need to be more predictable." Well, how is that measurable? Well, let's say we meet every week anyway, because because we meet every week. And in this week, we will just ask ourselves, "Well, how predictable were we last week?" And yeah. and,
0: and, and, that's and that's we'll just awesome.
1: introduce this little little scale, like let that it's that, that, called fist to five. We we'll just. Uh, think of of a number between one and five, and we'll and once we know the number, w- we we show a fist, and uh, the, someone counts down three, two, one, and then everyone shows the fingers. So and w- then we know. Suddenly we have a score, and I mean, it's it's there is much much better ways <laughs> to measure something, but if we can't measure it, then this is this is always possible. Like we can see, oh yeah, right, we realized from one week to the other, our predictability did not did, did not go down at least, or or it improved a little bit. And then we can discuss, because the value is obviously not in this measurement, as as always. If you just look at the KPIs, there is there is all things that can go wrong if you just take care of them. The the most value is in the discussion, right? So why why do you think we've been better at this or that? Or and so it 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 is actually an important question. There is this very famous book like seven habits of, of effective people like the, the the main thing or like this, i think the second thing that he's asking people to do is just to beginning begin with the end in mind and and this is the thing that what we're talking about so, so think about what is going to be the result of the work that you are handing people to do before they start and it's actually it's a habit If 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 you develop this habit of thinking what? How will I know in the end, after I've given them this this result, that it's good? And you just give that. You do not stop being a control freak, as you say, but you just move the what what you are controlling from their from their actions to the results of their work, and that allows them to own the result. It allows them to be to be uh, responsible for the whole thing. Actually, I have this 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 very funny thing that always happens when my partner is asking me to to, uh, for example, uh, slice tomatoes when we cook something, right? I would ask, "Well, how thin do you want them, me to slice them?" Right. So what just happened when when I asked this question? What had happened to to my responsibility? It just means I don't feel responsible for the whole dish because she she would she would ask me back. So, and how how thick do you like them? Right. And then. It's right back with me that oh yeah right I th- this is this is how thick I want to slice them and that's what's happening like this is a very small example of what's happening in organizations very often when people are just asked to do one little thing they res- feel responsible for that but they do not own they do not think along with the whole or, or the whole result once you are starting to make whole dishes or whole results you can also innovate you can become even better than the person asking you to do the job wouldn't that be the best thing if you are the executive director and you find out you're your people have created better communication materials than you would have ever been able to, because they are more into social media. They know much better tools that are out there right now, and they can use their talents, use their other ideas. That you know that if, if that happens, that's that's what happens to great leaders, right? That's that's when mm-hmm. you know you've done a good job as a leader. When 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 the the result of the people just surprises you, it's even better than you would you would have been able to come up with yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other thing I noticed too is, um, so it's the same for a nonprofit as it is for a a for-profit business. And that is when you first come up with, um, and this gets to the idea of execution, but um, when you, you first come up with the idea of your, your organization, what you're going to do, the people you're either going to serve, the cause you're going to help, or, what product you're going to sell in, in case of for-profit or the service that you're going to sell. Um, the exciting part is to most people the idea. Right. And yet you're 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 implementing that idea. You actually launched a company or you launched launched a nonprofit. But the, the really the the next part is not the it's not the sexy part of it. And that is the X's and O's of running the organization, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, he, that becomes the most important part of the organization is, is the execution of it. And I think that's where, um, what we're talking about today is, you know, if you want to control unpredictability in your organization,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you have to be able to have exceptional execution and exceptional execution only occurs when you have processes and procedures or in my case what I the word I use is best practices. Mm. Um, it's just you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and I really know that the organizations that I see that are really good at what they do, mm-hmm. they are exceptional at execution and that you talk about something that gets me psyched up when I see really good execution in my businesses or my, the organizations and the nonprofits I'm involved with. And you know, what gets me really the opposite, like drained when I see when it's unorganized, I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> we got to fix this. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what What are your thoughts on that? Well, several
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to structure them first so you you know, first of all this is completely accurate that especially nonprofits my experience is everyone is very intrinsically motivated so the whole cause is very big but it's hard to stay connected to the whole cause if you know the next time you see that you move the needle on the whole cause is in half a year or, or maybe in a year from now or maybe you won't see that at all so it's a very big it, it and you was you're right about the processes you you know organizations that have them under control they also not I don't think it's just to you I think to everyone they are much more attractive and also they're much more attractive for, for good people to start working with them right so as as a new employee you're also looking for something do they have their stuff together mm. um, right um and now the question comes in is you're saying this word "best practice," and there there are different thinkers with different meanings with that. And the best practices especially work well when things are repeatable. When things are not repeatable, it is it is difficult to uh, to improve uh, to actually. It is even counterproductive to put in place best practices, as as you would, for example, for sales, something that is repeatable. What you need to put in place when things are not not predictable are frequent checks or frequent yeah. feedback loops. And that, what, what, you, what you will then observe from the outside is an organization that is quite adaptable in how they do things. So, so it may not look very um, predictable. So it may look even a little bit chaotic at times. But you will start, if, if, if you see that they are actually reflecting on their results every week, if you see there is a team and they're do- what what they're doing is, is quite fuzzy, you don't have an idea. But in the end of the week, they will come together, they will look at their results, they will figure out what we've done this week. Has this had the impact that we wanted it to have? And for that, we need to be able, and this is something the executive director needs to be able to help with, is to break down the big cause that we only see going to see the result for in half a year or a year into small packages that can actually be you know delivered and verified and have an impact within a week right and see if you see people you know working together as a team trying to, and uh, trying something out and in the end of the week showing their results even though yeah. what they're doing from week to week may be very different may look very chaotic but then you get respect you see oh they have their stuff together cuz you you'll see you, you'll see people improving you'll see them delivering and you may see them making mistakes for a couple of weeks but then you will see them owning and and improving and delivering things that you wouldn't have been able to predict that they are actually able to do that.
0: Yeah. And we, uh, so I've done this for years, years, uh-huh. years, decades. And, you know, there's a really good um, uh, guy by the name of Vern Harnish in the United States, who is, um, runs one of the larger small business consulting uh, organizations in the United States. Um, so, he, you know he uses he he's kind of uh he's been around for uh 25 years and he termed the word huddle so uh, you know uh, uh, uh and he had a certain and I've always followed it so you know a huddle is something that you can either do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis and the whole objective of the huddle is to sync so that everybody In essence, is held accountable, but to do Anton what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. so that you have a check in, Mm -hmm. and you know there's some basic ideas about a huddle that that are obvious and that I've done, and that even Vern says. Mm -hmm. Number one is, you know, a huddle should be standing. You should not be sitting. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's not a meeting. Okay, it's it's a time for everybody to sink. It should only be. 15 or 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. it should, you know, it, it, it. it's not a place for you to have discussion about problems. That should be a sidebar, you know? And I think Anton, for what you're talking about, you know, I usually do, I always do my huddles and my huddles on a, on a board, right? Yes. And then we have it, we, we go over the, the, Either the KPIs, or we go over any projects we're working on. We and, and Anton, what you're talking about. If you, if if you can do a check in with the group to say, you know, if where would you score yourself on this process right now? What are best practices, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, it takes some discipline because you want to make it short. And um, and but you find that you get into these rhythms. And everybody knows exactly what is expected. So you know, I would I would uh, recommend to everybody out there to to uh, Google um, Vern Harnish V E R N uh, Harnish. Uh, it's H E R N I S H Harnish. Yeah, and Huddle and look at that. You could YouTube it too and see what there is on Huddles. And really, I I found when we started to implement that, it made a huge difference in our ability to do what you said, Anton, and that is um, hold ourselves accountable. Would you have I mean, is that common in Germany? Uh, yeah, absolutely. In, in, yeah. 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 So,
1: so, what's your what's your st- you know you've read like i am the certified scrum trainer so what you're talking about is very similar to what we call daily scrum and and in fact you know scrum is this word from uh from rugby uh where where every where like both teams are basically uh you know maybe huddled with each other and trying to push the other team away so they can get the ball and it's basically a picture of how the whole team comes together
0: it's, it's, an scrum, it's
1: it, it, it scrum, it's every day, but, but I guess they, you know, there we, we talk about more uh, unpredictable environments. But the, the, the main thing that I learned from interacting with people in nonprofits is that very often, especially someone higher up in the hierarchy, will notice that in the daily business, people do not know what everyone else is doing and are not yeah, really so. leveraging all the all the potential of the organization. If, if you do this huddle that you just explained, one result that that c- comes out of it is, and, and this would be the typical output, and this is why you do not dis- discuss things within this 15 to 20 minutes. The, the The purpose of the meeting is not so much to discuss all the topics that c- could arise, but to actually identify the topics and identify the potential for collaboration for, oh yeah, I know you've been dealing with this. I was even thinking about how to, how to... You know, how to get the stakeholder to talk about us. So now that I know that you've talked to him, uh, can we, you know, put a, put our heads together on how we can get him to do this or that, or what is it in, in what's in it for him if he could do help
0: us this yeah, way? I think in general, just you know, get started with it. Um, you know, definitely trying to learn about it because the one thing, the biggest mistake you can make is make it too long. And you may you may even as the executive director, you may want to ask somebody on your team to help you stay. <clears throat> um, under the time limit mm-hmm. because, and then just get started, just get started and keep working on it. And I think you're right. Anton, you, you, you find that everybody's then talking and, you know, not at the same time. Okay. But everybody's then understanding what everybody's doing. Uh, again, you want to have a certain format follow that we don't have time today to go over a good huddle and what it, what it, it's involved. But again, if you think about the purpose of a huddle, it's, to, it's for everybody to sync. Right. It's not. It's not to discuss problems. It's not to um, to 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 make it long. And and uh, it. You know, I think you're right. I think if you just start doing it, then it'll make a big difference. Um, unfortunately, that's kind of all the time we have for today. I know we could definitely go into a lot more uh, about this, um, but I'd like to thank so very much, Anton. Skornikov from Agile Coach for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. We have so many great guests and so many great podcasts. I think, you know, if you just listen to our guests on the podcast, you'd be amazed. And we're, you know, the Nonprofit NBA podcast is in the top 1% of podcasts listened to for nonprofits. So it's very popular. If you like, and so if you like today's podcast or any of our other ones, please give us a five star review. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your organization, please feel free to visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Antoine, if anyone wants to reach you, how would they go about doing so? They would find me and my book at slicingwork.com.
1: It's just this two words together, slicingwork.com. Great,
0: great. Well, thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to end by uh, reminding everybody out there, I want to thank you. I know Anton and I want to thank you for making the world a better place. Um, Certainly there are uh, so many different issues going on and you're out there on the on the line, you know, you know, out there working on every day to make the world a better place. And we thank you for that. I just want to remind you that you are no good to your family, your employees, your cause, even to yourself if you don't take care of yourself first. So make sure every day you're saying, what am I doing for myself today? And it doesn't mean what I'm doing for myself today is helping my cause. That means, you know, taking care of yourself physically, exercise, eating, right? All the things that we met could be meditation, could be praying, whatever it takes for you to keep your energy because saving the world is a marathon. It's not a sprint and you need to keep your energy up. So just keep that in mind. Other than that, I want to thank everybody for listening to today's nonprofit MBA podcast and have a great day.